Tuesday morning blitz, the first Tuesday morning blitz of the new year. Kale's in a suit. You can already tell he's a new man. Same mustache, but just a, a sheen of professionalism to him today. Kale, why are you looking so professional, man? Listen, just trying to just trying to get my life in order, you know? Just trying to clean it up a bit, you know, dress for success, look good, play good, et cetera, et cetera. I forget how the rest of that goes. <laughs> but no, play good, you're, pay good. I can't remember the rest of it. I'm, I'm blanking so hard on it, and I just can't. That's your homework for next week. But you look oh, phenomenal. I love you, it. Always. And let's let's talk about the football from this past week, Kale. A lot of things got clinched yesterday. A lot of things were kind of up in the air and, and resolved themselves. There's still a few things that need to work themselves out before next week. But I think week 17 made a lot of things extremely clear for us to to kind of wrap our heads around and talk about. And you want to just go conference by conference this week, you know, take it out of our, our usual structure and just talk about who clinched and who didn't. Let's do it. Works for me. All right. We got, we'll go AFC first. We'll kind of just talk about the games and then what happened as a result of each game. So the Bengals probably with the biggest one of the day yesterday, hosting Kansas city two possession deficit at halftime. They come back on the strength of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And the Bengals lock up the AFC North. Kale, how impressed were you by what you saw in Cincinnati? Really impressed. I mean, the offensive play has really surpassed any expectations I have. I keep thinking back to the one infographic meme that Bengals Twitter circulated of uh, who the Bengals could have drafted. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about it several times on this podcast, uh, the Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase decision. And it's paid off in spades. Like this offense looks just so dynamic with Jamar Chase involved. 266 yards and three touchdowns is an absolutely bonkers number to be thrown around there. Like they really worked on capitalizing in every way possible on that one draft pick. Like it, it's, Think about what they've done to build out this team. Just they threw money at the defensive end, whether it's Trey Hendrickson, Shadobia, Wuzie, like the guys that they picked up on the back end are not world beaters. They're not some of the best guys available in the free agency pool, but you're throwing money at the money at that side of the ball, which they needed to do. They needed to revamp their defense in a pretty significant way. And they've been serviceable. They've been able to get the job done. And Joe Burrow's still taking a ton of sacks. That offensive line is still very suspect at points, but they're holding on for just enough for Joe Burrow to create some magical offensive plays with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, C.J. Ozuma. Like, they've done so much good with what they've contributed. Like, this team feels a year early. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. I think 20, like they, they were really able to capitalize on the fact that the Raven, Ravens are just a shell of themselves this year and just really need to get some proper R&R this offseason to actually get back for a season where I think next year the AFC North is probably a two-team league. But right now, being able to capitalize the way that they have on a very unique opportunity, uh, 
it's one of the more fun offenses I've seen in a while. Like Joe Burrow is playing pretty elite level football right now. And it, and it's been really impressive to see. I, I like the debate between do you take Herbert or Burrow over the next five years? Like, do you want to take Burrow or Mahomes right now? Like there's a lot of hypotheticals getting thrown around <laughs> on in media spaces and on Twitter. Those hypotheticals aside, Bengals fans just have to be really happy with where the Bengals are right now and just how fun this team is to watch. The Like, just a fun product for the first time in a while in Cincinnati. Oh, absolutely. And I want to address those hypotheticals really quick because it's something that I get brought across my timeline a lot, as I'm sure you do, and I get friends texting me, like, their hot takes on NFL quarterbacks all the time. And I just, like – why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do the Burrow versus Mahomes thing or Burrow versus Herbert? Because they're in entirely individual, unique situations. I mean, Burrow, we just talked about it. He got the receiver that he's developed this year of chemistry with an LSU that set prolific records. Like he is in a perfect situation for him right now in Cincinnati. Herbert's in a great situation for him down in LA. And Mahomes has established this perfect situation for himself in Kansas City. So you take one guy out of any of these situations and put him on another team, you have no idea how he's going to perform. So why do we have to do that hypothetical exercise when we can just watch these teams play against each other and talk about how great these players are? Like It just, it bugs me. I mean, hypotheticals are half the fun of sports. You can't just deal with the proper product. <laughs> you have to come up with all these little hoops to jump through in your brain and just all these random arguments just to, you know, prove, you know, more in some regard or whatever. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. We all just decide to do as sports fans, but it's, it's inherent in the sport, I guess. I don't know. Ah, well, I guess I'm I'm a bad sports podcaster for even bringing it up. I suppose we'll, we'll do our player comparison podcast in the off season to make up for it, I guess, but Unbelievable win for the Bengals. The Chiefs now drop down to the two seed in the AFC, losing out potentially on an opportunity to get a bye they really could use unless the Titans somehow lose to the Texans next week. And just briefly to bring up the Titans, have we ever seen a one seed that looks more vulnerable than the 11 and five, maybe Derek Henry list Tennessee Titans going into these playoffs? I suppose. I think, I think Mike Vrabel is very much in the running for a coach of the year candidacy. Through 17 weeks. I think the, he's the favorite. Absolutely. The Tennessee Titans have played 88 players. Like, <laughs> that's an NFL record. That's an insane number of bodies that they've had to run through. We talk about the Ravens being really banged up, and that happens a lot on the starting end, but they've just – the Titans have had so many – just such a deep rotation of bodies at this point that it's pretty remarkable. And I think what's really interesting about Tennessee is the fact that they've played a lot of teams really tough and they've gotten a lot of really strong wins. It's just a matter of what's happening in those crazy losses. Like the, like how does Tennessee lose to the jets? How does Tennessee collapse against the Pittsburgh Steelers? What happened the first time the Texans played the Titans? Like, how did they lose those? Like, there's just so many losses that you think of where it's it really boggles your mind that they're in this position. But then they're beaten, like, 
They're giving the Seahawks the business when the Seahawks were really competitive early. They're beating the Bills. They're beating the Chiefs very handily, taking care of the Colts and the Rant. Like, there are stretches for this team that show that they're really competitive and they've had an ability to adapt to just whatever's been thrown at them. Well, the which, one which common denominator, though, has to be A.J. Brown, right? Like, we've, we've seen them win games when they've lost Derrick Henry. We've seen them lose games that seemed impossible to lose when they didn't have A.J. Brown. That Jets game, no Brown or Julio. And that Texans game, same thing. So as much as we want to talk about how important Derrick Henry is to that offense, I think Brown is actually the guy it all hinges on, no? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Deontay Foreman's at least been performing at a replacement level. You're not getting – you're not asking him to do the same – like bulldozing that Derrick Henry's doing, but I think from just pure uh, success rate and EPA per play, Deontay Foreman's at least in the ballpark of Derrick Henry per Ben Baldwin, if I'm right, if I remember correctly. But just yeah, it like you, but you you can't a team can't function when your top two receivers are a UDFA and Nick Westbrook or Keane and your wide receiver two is Chester Rogers. Like that just, you can't function that regard. You need someone. AJ Brown is that someone he's that elite level talent that helps his team function. But I think just as this team gets help, like if this team is able to get healthy, if they're able to hold on to this buy and they can pick up a Derrick Henry and they can now rotate him situationally with a Deontay Foreman. And if I think they have a chance to do something, but yeah, you there's a very easy argument to make that the worst team in the AFC playoff picture currently is getting the bye for sure. And that makes it so interesting to potentially attempt to predict. And these wild card matchups that we're going to get in a couple weeks' time are going to be so compelling on that side of the bracket. The only team at this point that we're not sure about whether or not they're going to be in the AFC playoff picture is we'll, we'll call it the seven seed. And we don't know for sure how the seeding is going to work out, but five teams have clinched. We've already talked about Tennessee, Kansas city, Cincinnati, the bills and Patriots also both clinched yesterday. The Colts have not yet clinched, but we assume that they're going to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and clinch. If they don't do that, there's going to be some soul searching to do an Indy next week, but We've got to talk about this game that unfolded between the Raiders and Colts, and that'll lead us into Raiders Chargers being for all the marbles next week. But how surprised were we by this outcome? The Raiders really showed up yesterday, and it's, it's tough to say whether the Colts really knew there was a game going on for a while there. Yeah, I on the Colts side of things, just I think the roller coaster that is the Carson Wentz experience may at some point really come back to bite the Colts just because you've got so much stability in your run game, running behind one of the best offensive lines in football and having the like, currently the best running back in football and Jonathan Taylor, that lethal combination is going to get you a good amount of wins. And up until yesterday, there was a direct correlation between Jonathan. If Jonathan Taylor ran, 100 yards before yesterday the Colts were nine and up if he ran under 100 yards they were zero and seven like that's pretty direct correlation right there just baffling stuff 
<laughs> but Car- like Carson Wentz has his highs. He has his moments. He makes good throws. And then he just has these abysmal, abysmal lows where you're not only head scratching, wondering what you're doing, but like there's throws that most quarterbacks won't even dare make. Like the like the <laughs> the touchdown catch that T.Y. Hilton had was hilarious. <laughs> like that is nearly picked off by two Raiders corners, pops straight up in the air, flips right over both their heads, and just lands in T.Y.'s lap. Like any other – like that's a turnover-worthy play. That's a, an embarrassing play. Like there's so many ways to describe that. And there's like – Carson Wentz just looks so funny playing football. It's so weird because they have stability this year, but it's not in a lot of different places. In a lot of different places too. Like it's not just like it's not just their offensive line that's had like a lot of injuries and some turnover. It's not just the stability of a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who's you know actually seems very injury resistant. Knock on wood. Oh, knock on all the wood, please. Their, their (laughs) Their defense has been really strong across the board. But just Carson Wentz right now is is it's it's really bad. On the flip side of things, uh, there's a French documentary called "The Gleaners and I" uh, by Autor Agnes Varda, and it's essentially about uh, this practice in France called gleaning, uh, where people either take it's 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 about conservation. It's about food waste and how people can make something out of nothing they're uh feeding themselves off of food waste they're making art off of garbage uh they're rebuilding computers from thrown away electronics uh and i use this ham-fisted metaphor to describe the las vegas raiders offense uh this team has been thrown wrench after wrench uh they've had just such a difficult season uh something very unimaginable uh, like between what happened with John Gruden, which we would have with Henry Ruggs, uh, just so many different losses after loss, uh, like wrenches thrown left and le- right. Like it's a scene from dodgeball, like just I, like you could write this team off at any point and they just keep finding ways to win. They, they, you know, when like Zay Jones is stepping up as wide receiver one, uh, they're reclaiming Deshaun Jackson, who was a cast off from the Rams just Kenyon Drake as well, like getting him in the building, overpaying for him, but using him as a passing down back. Hunter Renfro, just having guys step up and to replace Darren Waller, makeshift offensive line. Like you, you name it, they've had guys get shoehorned in there and they just keep finding ways to win. Like it's, you know, in the spirit of John Madden, like, it's just win bait. Like it's, they're just finding ways to play really hard nosed football. They're finding ways to get the job done. And now they're putting themselves in a position where it's win and you're in against the LA chargers. Like I'm getting more impressed with the Raiders as I watch them, not from any sort of like they can beat anyone, but the resiliency of this team is really, really impressive. Absolutely. And it's been such a strange season in that, whenever you thought that they were down and out, they've found a way to come back and get a win like this game. And certainly that Cowboys game on Thanksgiving, but then they also have the head scratching loss in there at any time, right. When you think that they might be about to hit the gas pedal. So I don't, I don't really know 
what to think heading into this Chargers game. It's in Las Vegas. I could see 17 different archetypes of football games playing out between the offenses and defenses that are going to be on the field. But we just have to give them a lot of credit for putting themselves in this position, given that all they've dealt with. I absolutely agree with you on that. I also just wanted to give you some space to give your John Madden tribute. I mean, talk about burying the lead a little bit, but we lost maybe the most important figure the game of football has had in the past half century. I I mean, I know it meant a lot to me as somebody growing up watching Sunday night football and and playing Madden, but I know you're much more of a Madden head than I ever was. So, I mean, what do you, what is your John Madden anecdote that you want to give this week? I it's, it's really difficult to pick when I almost don't feel right to kind of choose one. Like it's it, like you said, it's just, it's why you get into the, it, like his energy and his fun is why you get into the game. His it, it's translating passion and humor into a consumable product. It, you know, it's like the, the clips from the Madden documentary uh, in the commercial trailers is like, it's not only just him, like it's, it's not only just the product that he put out, but his job as a commentator changed everything for sports media like every broadcast that was competing with john madden began to copy john madden because he just set such a high standard and you know i i wish i knew more about his coaching days i wish i knew more about those raiders teams to actually talk about his coaching prowess but i mean just as a like just as a figurehead in sports like whether it's whether it is the games and the just the impact that that leaves and like just growing, like growing up, like playing Madden with your buddies in a basement. Like that's how you learn to love the game of football. You know, like playing it has its own value and like the team sense of it all. Uh, watching it on TV and rooting for your favorite team is another thing. And, you know, Madden is able to teach the youngest of viewers the small nuances of the game. And that seeds you into learning more. Like that plants the seed for you learning more about the game and learning more about scheme and positional value and how players perform. But like, it's, you really can't say enough about the guy. It's I, I even in these past couple of days, I haven't found the right words or the right stories to pick on to actually portray just how much he's meant. But I, I mean, yeah, like what a life lived. No, I, he is, the example, the the utmost example of living life to the fullest and leaving a an impact on on the game that he loves so much that is going to be felt by everyone for many many generations to come. And uh, there's just no no right way to to describe what he meant to this game that we both have come to love so much. But had to say just something about what a legacy he leaves and and what an incredible figure he was in this sport. Uh, and there's also not really a good way to transition out of this, but uh, I mean, we, we talk about Madden, his son coached Sean Mannion in high school and Sean Mannion played on a field at Lambeau field last night and just got destroyed. So I guess we have to now, <laughs> we now have to talk about that game. <laughs> It was Mike, I mean, Mike Tarico pulls out all the anecdotes on the broadcast, man. So uh, that was, they had to find a way to talk about Sean Mannion for three hours. They did their best, but 
The Packers have now sewn up the one seed. They get two much-needed weeks of rest. Is there anything more that we need to say about the Packers at this point? I mean, the Adams-Rogers connection has gone next-level nuclear the past few weeks. I mean, they're, they feel like the team to beat, right? But what's great, like, these two statements can exist mutually exclusive. On one end, they absolutely look like the team to beat. It just doesn't feel like there's too much not, – not that there's too much competition, but there's no – one team in the NFC at this moment, whether you look at LA, Arizona, Tampa Bay, Dallas, or whoever comes out of the wild card picture, there doesn't look like there's one team as currently constructed that looks ready to beat this Green Bay Packers team. On the other end, I don't think they've put up a really impressive statement win yet. No, I, I think the Packers are weird. Like if you, I, I thought that the two statements that you were going to go with are they're absolutely the team to beat, but they're also absolutely beatable. Like it's this weird Packers paradox this year. You know, they haven't, they haven't shown us fully what they're capable of. I don't think in a, in a game against another quality opponent, uh, you know, they beat Arizona, but Arizona was on the doorstep of winning that game. If Kyler hadn't thrown one of the craziest goal line picks since the Malcolm Butler play and you know, they're, they're, last year we were saying the exact same thing about the Packers being the team to beat in the NFC, and someone went out there and beat them. So I just think they've still got to prove it in the playoffs this year. But once again, they've put themselves into the position to do it, and, and all credit to them for putting together a great regular season. Yeah, I mean, coming into last night's game, and they'll definitely get bumped up by the performance, but they were 10th in DVOA. Like, they're 10th for – and they're 10th for a reason just because, like, this is a team that hasn't really put together any sort of statement, like blowout victory. And some of that gets dragged, like some of that DVOA stuff gets dragged down by their massive week one loss to the Saints. But even still, their weighted DVOA is eighth. Like it's not too much better. Like their offense shows up some games. Like they put up 45 points against the Bears, but the Bears still put up 30. Like they barely squeak out a win against the Tyler Huntley. Ravens uh like they barely squeak out a win against the Browns and the next week there, there's games where their offense shows up and their defense doesn't there's games where their defense shows up like the 13-7 win against the, or loss against the Chiefs but then the offense puts up seven points like it's it doesn't it like they they've just yet to put it all together this season and I can't figure out what it's going to take and I thought against Sean Manning, like there were two 50 burgers on the slate yesterday between the Seahawks win over the Lions and the Pats win over the Jets. And I thought like it would have been great to see another one against the Packers just to prove something. Like this is a Vikings defense that really hasn't done much all year. Zimmer's <laughs> completely checked out at this point. And, and you know, 37's admirable. 37's good. But like, you know, give me like – throttle a team like step on a throat or two like let me see true domination if i'm going to really have full confidence in you like they like you said like it's it's the team to beat and yet they're still very beatable oh yeah the only thing that does give me confidence though is just the the level of synchronicity that i see between rogers and adams right now is almost oh. like nothing i've ever seen before like these these back shoulder throws and, and Collinsworth to his credit does a very good job breaking these down where 
Adams just knows where the ball is going to be and he doesn't have to put his hands up until the last possible second. And the DB just has no idea when the ball's coming. Rogers puts it in the perfect place every time. And it just feels like they're able to steal like 15 to 20 yards on these back shoulder throws that you just don't like they, you don't expect them to work out and they just do every time. And it doesn't look like Adams is really running a complicated route because he's not, he's just giving these, you know, little subtle shakes at the beginning and keeping his eyes, you know, or keeping his hands down until the last moment. And they're just like, they're doing things that, I mean, we talk about Cooper cup. He's having a great year. There's other great receivers, but I don't think there's any other QB wide receiver combo that has the level of connection that they do right now. I mean, this is, this might be a little lawdy of a comparison, but there hasn't been a, the, the best quarterback performance wise in the league hasn't played with the best wide receiver performance wise in the league since what? Montana, it's Brady right? Moss. Brady Moss, I would say. Fair, fair. Yeah. That yeah, that makes more sense. But the year, the year that Brady set the, the touchdown record in the same year that Moss set the receiver touchdown record, that no, was the last the time we've year. seen not it. Not the same year, the same pass. Yes. <laughs> that, that, game. that was that was a fun game. Yeah, it oh. would have been a lot more fun if we hadn't had the rematch in the Super Bowl, but that's okay. You have to bring it up. Good you moment. have to bring it up. That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, what else happened in the NFC yesterday? We had some really atrocious games down in the back half of the slate. The Panthers-Saints game, I told Kale I hadn't realized that it was on until the middle of the third quarter, even though I had it in my quad box the entire time. Uh, the Giants looked like the saddest NFL team in a whole slate of sad teams. The one other game I suppose we could definitely touch on, though, is that Cardinals-Cowboys game because the Cowboys were looking as though they were about to be you know, a threat and, and firing on all cylinders again after a couple offensive low weeks. And the Cardinals looked like they were dead in the water. But for the first three quarters of this game, the Cardinals – they dominated. And I don't know if it's that Kyler always plays well in that stadium and the Cowboys were just bound for an offensive regression after the week they had last week, but I don't know what to make of either of these teams anymore. And I'm going to put it to you to decide what we should think following that game. Uh, Kyler's great. Kyler's very good. Kyler. Uh, I, I think that's like the one takeaway we can kind of make is just that this I think the Rodney Hudson uh, in his stint on the COVID uh, reserve list really hurt Kyler's confidence, not only because uh, their center just couldn't, their backup center couldn't snap the ball, but just the fact that this, I, I think Kyler has so much more confidence behind Rodney Hudson in terms of protection, in terms of timing, uh, just his ability to get the ball out quicker, even if it's to guys like Antoine Wesley. Uh, you know, without DeAndre Hopkins, this team has lost a significant bit of their explosion and their ability to, you know, create something from nothing on offense. But this is a team, you know, with a with multiple weapons out, you know, guys step up, guys fill in the blanks. You know, Edmonds regains his RB1 role from that he kind of lost to Connors from a snaps perspective. Wesley steps up in what I assume is like the DeAndre Hopkins X position, because that's basically how they've been using him. But, you know, 
Christian Kirk's getting involved. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is might be one of the more important acquisitions outside of uh, the Chiefs getting Melvin Ingram in the midseason trade deadline. Like that's and our boy a, Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary as well. But that's a big. It's a big acquisition that's kept this Cardinals offense afloat. On the flip side of things, you know, I guess you can chalk it up to the fact that this, like this Cardinals defense outperformed what they've really done in a long time. Like, like this, if you look at the, I commented on this when the uh, Lions beat the Cardinals in the uh, piece I wrote for Purple Outsiders, but the defensive numbers before and after the Cardinals lost J.J. Watt are pretty staggering. Uh, They were the second best defense by DVOA before losing him. And then they went down to a league average 16th, I believe, in the weeks after. But Cardinals defense really – or the yeah, the Cardinals defense really bounced back. And I think a lot of that is just – just comes down to how well – the Cardinals were able to contain C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. C.D. Lamb gets three receptions for 51 yards. Amari Cooper gets three receptions for 18 yards. Cedric, like, Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz led the team in receptions. Like, if you're doing that and you're keeping – if you're keeping the Cowboys top three to nine combined receptions for just above 100 total yards combined, like, that's off to you. Like – it's it's tough to it's tough to be as suffocating as that. You know what I mean? Like it's tough to keep guys that contained. And you're stuffing the run as well. Like 45 total run yards on 17 total carries. You're going to beat this Cowboys team with defense going forward in this playoff picture. A team with this many weapons behind this offensive line with Dak Prescott. Trey Diggs is having is, – is, his 11 interceptions are hiding one of the worst cornerback seasons, period. Like he's it's so strange. Of, he's allowed – it's, it's, it's not too strange because if you look – like if you look at that Bengals-Chiefs game, the interceptions that were dropped by that Bengals defense would have absolutely changed the game. Like Eli Apple dropped a Pat Mahomes interception that would have – absolutely like they scored a touchdown on that drive after the fact that's a swing of seven points at least uh could have been fine if that interception in short field turns into a touchdown but like there's still value to being able to intercept the ball as a quarterback like being able to catch the balls that are thrown at you but 100 percent. this is why it's such a strange season to me because you can't just say he's been one of the worst because he's also been one of the most no, impactful. You, no, you can players. absolutely say he's been one of the worst because of the amount of touchdowns. Like, I think I saw a stat online from Deontay Lee of PFF, I believe, tweeted it out. 45% of the catches that he's allowed this year have gone for either first downs or touchdowns. That's an insane statistic. And he's still caught 11 interceptions on top of it. Like, he's allowed, it, like, just a crazy amount of offensive volume and not all of that's his fault just the nature of the game like you know not every yard is but like i don't know i'm getting too far away from the topic (laughs) you're beat you're beating this cowboys team with a good defense and with a suffocating defense and that's what the cardinals brought to the table today and i'm i'm genuinely impressed with their win 
I, th- I still, I'm still hesitant to really crown them and give them anything because I think they're going to have a tough road headed into the playoffs. But this is a pretty, pretty great win for the Cardinals in terms of riding the ship. Yeah, well, if you want to make it spicy, as things stand right now in the first round of the NFC, if things were to, if standings were to hold the way they currently are, the Cardinals and Cowboys would play once again at AT AT&T Stadium in two weeks. So right back at it. Let's see who's really the better team. I wouldn't bank on things holding. And we're not, we're ones for uh, reviews and not predictions. Hmm. But headed into week 18, you know, Sean McVay is headed up to uh, headed up to mm. Kyle Shanahan's domain. <laughs> and, and Trey Lance looks pretty good. It, not, Ooh, I not don't know about that. Threw some, no, he threw some balls that Jimmy Garoppolo is truly incapable of throwing. Yeah. So, and also he threw some balls in a bad way that I think Jimmy Garoppolo is incapable of throwing in the first half. So I, don't, I can't give him too much credit for that Texans game. Those balls with the screwed up UCL. I am. I'm not ready to, to give Trey Lance the, the scepter as the Niners future in, in waiting just yet. I, I want to see, I want to see a full game against a team that's not the Texans where he, he looks a little bit more sure of himself, but Texans are, Hey, don't knock the Texans. The Texans have one of the better defenses in football. Can you show me a statistic that says the Texans are one of the better defenses in football, please. And let's um, name some good Texans defensive earlier, players. Earlier in the season, they were top 10 defense. They've fallen back to 18, but <laughs> better than where they were. Oh, it, like it's, it's, it's better than you would expect. Not better than where they were, but better than you would expect. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the last headline that came out of the NFC that needs to be addressed. And that is the strip show that we saw on the sideline at MetLife Stadium and the Buccaneers losing for better or for worse, one of their key offensive weapons with two weeks to go in the season, because you can get accused of sexual assault. You can fake a vaccination card, but what you can't do is walk out on your team. That's the final straw. And Antonio Brown is finally no longer a Tampa Bay buck. What do we have to say about this? I don't know. Like it's tough. It's it was it's tough to watch. Like every report that comes out makes it weirder. Like apparently Antonio Brown told the team that his ankle wasn't good enough to go, and then he ran off the field, hopped around, and got into you know kitty heel boots while he waited for an Uber outside of MetLife Stadium. Like it's, I don't know, he's it's gotten pretty self. It's gotten, you know, he's always been about AB. Like he's always been about that brand and some of the Tom Brady comments in the press conference after show that there have been guys like Brady that have tried to be there for him in the moment. And, you know, Brady's had AB stay at his house. Brady's tried to rectify him, but it's, it, it is weird to me that, you know, AB was humble. AB was quiet for a year when he was under the, when it was under the pretense that, you know, one mistake and you're out. And the second 
Bruce Arians drops the, you know, things have changed, like circumstances have changed. It's no longer just like the one strike policy that he has. <laughs> AB just does this. Like it's, it's sad. The guy, the guy was on a hall of fame trajectory for sure. Like truly a hall of fame trajectory. He a lock. Absolutely. Ascended, ascended, you know, career wide receiver rankings just with this total production uh truly one of the biggest wastes of talent you could have and and every every team he's played for every chapter of his nfl career whether it's pittsburgh the raiders the patriots and now the bucks there's been a moment like this like this is it's you know fool me once like you you, like we've been fooled a lot by him and and i like i don't think i i I don't want to assume anything that's going on anytime you cry in this like anytime you cry mental health or cte in this situation you can't because that trivializes legitimate cases up at some point you have to recognize that this is a pattern of behavior that's been replicated in every destination you go to and at some point, I would like him to, you know, if he needs the help, I would absolutely love him to receive that kind of help. And I hope he certainly does. But at this point, there's also a level of accountability that he's never been asked to get. Like, no, he's he's, never... he's been given every chance and he's failed every test. I don't, I don't know what else there is to do for him at this point, at least from, you know, any, any individual team's perspective. Certainly as a person, as a private citizen, we hope he gets help. But at this point, like it, it, it's not, it's like he's struck out three times and then thrown the bat at the umpire. Like there's nothing more you can do for him from, from a legitimate team perspective. I wouldn't think. No, it's, it's, it would be surprising to me if you ever took another snap of football. Yeah. And what a weird, like, legitimately was a great story not just you know a prolific wide receiver but a late round draft pick kind of undersized like not the physical profile you expect from a all-time great wide receiver and really was probably the best receiver of the 2010s I mean you can make an argument for a couple other guys but of that decade I mean he probably put together the best stretch especially those last five years or so so going from that to this is just crazy but even in that Jets game, like like Brian Baldinger was throwing up highlights of like Antonio Brown's last snaps. It was torching dudes. Like it's these subtle, yeah. yeah, it's these subtle movements where he made a he made a Jets cornerback fall on his ass. Like mm-hmm. a fake step left, a fake step right, fake step left, hard button hook back, and all of a sudden the quarterback or the cornerback is stumbling five yards behind AB while AB picks up a like a good reception, like. The guy is such a talent, and he's just like he's getting in the way of himself. It's 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 upsetting to see. Yeah, there's really nothing more you can say about the AB situation. Uh, I do think Bruce Arians. I think we have to <laughs> we have to ex- demand a little bit more from Bruce Arians to be accountable for the statements he made about AB barely a week ago in saying that circumstances had changed, rather than just let him off with. Uh, he's no longer on the team. Let's talk about the guys who are still on the field. Cause the reality is you, he stood up for the guy. He, he stuck his neck out there and so did Brady for 
months on end, and Brady's, this I mean, is what they get paid back. I mean, Brady still stuck his neck out for him in the press conference after to show yeah. that he is still there for him, which like it showed like it shows why every every teammate that Brady's ever had is spoken pretty highly of him, if not glowing reviews of him, because he's able to be there for guys like that even when is they- he loyal to a fault though in especially in the a b situation i mean was weren't there signs that he maybe should have put his put his eggs in a different basket instead of this a b one for these last few months i mean yeah but also the last like 2020 with the buccaneers i think gave a b some sort of credibility because it's a year without AB put his head down. AB got the job done. AB was a a role player in a really potent offense. And then this year, between injury, between vaccination stuff, it, it just it fell off the rails. And I think those in the Buccaneers that had faith in Antonio Brown really leaned on that last year of AB and not the three years prior of noise that came with and from AB's camp. Well, it wasn't even a full season that they got out of him before this all popped off. You know, he 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 had to sit out half of last season for all the insanity that he caused in the years prior and came in because the Bucks once again, were truly in a position of need. And yes, things went well, but I just, you know, it's after the track record that we had seen, I just don't know how we could have possibly expected that things were all going to continue to go well. Um, I think we've pretty much said all there is to, though, at this point. You know, there's a few other guys that can, you know, maybe step up in AB's place on the Bucks, but it is a real loss for them from a football perspective. And, um, you know, we're going to give one of his replacements a game ball this week even, but it's still a tremendous loss. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly how the Bucks can kind of put the pieces into place in his absence. I mean, Tom Brady's, Tom Brady's done more with less, so – We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree, but Tom Brady's always had good receiving cores on teams that have won Super Bowls. So it definitely puts them in a hampered position moving forward. That being said, I do want to transition into offensive game balls while we're on the subject. And Kale's going to save his offensive game ball for the guy that put together by far the most impressive performance yesterday. But for me, I'm going to give it to Cyril Grayson because you watch AB leave mid game, you're down two touchdowns at the time. Grayson comes out of nowhere. I mean, he's probably the sixth receiver on the Bucks depth chart to begin the season and puts up a day where he gets six catches for 81 yards and catches the game winning touchdown. So it is what it is. You know, maybe he's not the guy long-term as a replacement for AB and Godwin at this point, but you talk about guys stepping up and that has a, a history of happening on Brady led teams. And he turned in a big day that got them a win that they pretty much needed in order to keep pace with, uh, you know, maybe getting a second home game in the NFC playoffs. Listen, I don't, I don't love hyperbole. I don't love being hyperbolic on this podcast because, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Uh, that was one of the most <laughs> impressive two minute drills that I've seen Tom Brady run. Like that was kind of crazy. Like he doesn't have a single pass to Mike Evans on that drive at all. He doesn't have a single pass to any of his, you know, multiple tight ends that he's got to work with. It's, it's literally just Seal Grayson, Tyler Johnson, 
Brady just moves methodically down the field without breaking a sweat, and they pull that win off. Like I, I just ha- and they get the two point conversion on it too. Like yeah, just and let's keep in mind this was a thirty three yard touchdown with fifteen seconds left on the clock at the start of the play. Like this was pretty much part two of that Brandon Cooks touchdown where it wasn't a hail mary, but they had to go to the end zone and it was deep and he puts that ball in such a tight window. Like this is, this is a 44 year old man. We're talking about here. How is he still doing things like this? No, it's, it's mind blowing. Like, like I, I wrote about last week, how many quarterbacks uh, between Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers were getting sentimental and reflective on their careers uh, in their thirties about like how many more snaps they've gotten them and being reflective, like Aaron Rodgers is talking about potentially hanging it up after this year. Cam Newton's talking about like, he hasn't like reflecting on what he's done in Carolina and how he doesn't think this is his last stop, but he thinks it's probably the end in Carolina. Big Ben seems as though he's hanging it up after this season and Brady's just cooking at 45. <laughs> like it's, it blows my mind that he keeps doing this. I, I don't know what else there is to say about Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. I also don't know how much more there is to say for us about Jamar Chase, but he has to get a game ball. And he has a good rookie of the year, is what he has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had, uh, we talked about this over text that we were happy that a lot of records were being broken this week instead of having to wait till next week and, and throw in that 17 game uh, disclaimer in for all these broken records, but chase breaking his college teammate, Justin Jefferson's rookie receiving record the next year and really doing it with some bad games thrown in the middle of the season is staggering stuff. I mean, 1400 yards at this stage of your development with a second year quarterback and a slipshot offensive line is mind boggling. And yesterday was something else. I don't even know how to describe what he did yesterday. Yeah. We gave him some flowers up top, but I mean, man, nothing, nothing can touch this like 266 yards, three touchdowns on 11 of 12 targets, like just absolutely blows <laughs> just beyond anything I've seen out of a rookie wide receiver before is like, it, it's, he's truly the full package, which is great. Like he's got the route running ability. He's got the speed, the body control in the back of the end zone on that sideline touchdown grab that he had. I keep coming back to the graphic because it's, it, it shows it, it completely discredits what Jamar chase is if Joe Burrow can even escape pressure once, like if he can mildly avoid pressure, he's all the way back. And it's, it's so genuinely just hats off to the guy. I I mean, if you want to see just how impressive this is, look at his route tree on next gen stats, the little graphic that they throw up. I've never seen a receiver have a, a route graphic. like that. We talk, we talk about the quarterback ones pretty often, but we don't often talk about the pass catching ones and it's, he's got routes all the way down field. He's got routes in the short distance. He's running all over the place. He's taking snaps on both sides of the hashes. Like it's, it's one of the most impressive performances I've seen 
from a wide receiver, let alone or let alone a rookie wide receiver. Period. Like, I mean, oh my god, against the Chiefs too. Like, yeah. Just what more do we have to say about it? Here's the only other thing I have to say about it, which is we talk a lot on this program about karma, instant karma, standing on logos, smoking victory cigars after you beat a team that you're going to play again in the playoffs. And if you're chief corner Charvarius Ward, how on earth can you see the day that Jamar Chase is having and break up one pass headed in his direction do his signature dance or his, his LSU receiving core signature dance and not expect that to turn around on you immediately. Two plays later, Charvarius Ward gets mossed in the end zone by Jamar Chase. He really doesn't have to do anything else other than start doing his dance. And you know that you've been put in a body bag. So let's try to, we're trying to teach on this program that you avoid instant karmic situations like that. And if you're going to dance on somebody, you had best not be giving up instant touchdowns immediately after. That is rule number one. And I don't know why we have to keep teaching it. Life comes at you fast. Unbelievable. So an easy one for Jamar Chase, his second game ball of the season, but there was no way to avoid giving it to him. Defensively, I think that it was not a great week for box scores on the defensive side, but there were some standout performances and I'm going to tip my head scratcher a little bit as well, but Devon Miller, uh, really his first big impactful game in a Rams uniform made some huge plays, had two sacks, one of which was on the Ravens final drive. Keep in mind, although the Ravens ran this final drive as if they had 20 minutes instead of one, they did only need a field goal and they have the best field goal kicker in the history of football. So if Von Miller doesn't come up with that sack on a first down with 15 seconds left, who knows what can end up happening and had another sack and had three other tackles for loss. So really had one of his biggest games up front uh, with his new team, maybe a sign that he's really starting to become, you know, a big part of that defense, especially in the pass rush. And, you know, that's something that they could, it's not like their offense looks super impressive right now. So in this open NFC playoff picture if the Rams defense can you know use that star power that they have to effectively shut down some offenses and and wreak havoc that's you know it's not a team that I'm ready to just write off quite yet very weird team but can't write them off listen we can we can make fun of the Rams all we want for hating draft picks but (laughs) that game quite literally came down to the two players they traded for at the deadline with all their draft picks later on. <laughs> Odell Beckham catches the game-winning touchdown, and Von Miller puts the game on ice. Like, I mean, this t- like the Rams are probably one of the best just team builders out there. A- and I'm really happy to see Von Miller back cooking on a really competent defense. Like, it, it was just a... He's not all the way back. It's not, you know, prime Denver Vaughn leading Super Bowl defenses, but like the fact he can still be a piece and the fact he can play alongside the likes of an Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, it's, it's so fun. Like this is, it feels so much like a Madden team. I still can't get used to either him or Odell in Rams uniforms, but it was pretty cool to see them both making such a big impact yesterday. On the flip side, the Ravens will come back to them. I can't 
wrap my head around what they were thinking in that late game scenario. But who is your defensive game ball? Uh, my defensive game ball doesn't flash on the box score, but flashed everywhere on the field. And that's Buda Baker. Uh, just getting that Cardinals defense right again. Uh, you know, coming in with a lot of pat, like a couple pass deflections, a couple pass breakups, some QB hits at a sack, like just was really everywhere in this one. Like really versatile player feels kind of like the guy, the Cardinals wish that they had in a Jamal Adams, like, except he can actually play in coverage too. Like Buda <laughs> Baker can really do it all. And it's, it's always been impressive. Like he, just his versatility as a positional player has always been really impressive to me. And just what they've been able to do with him as a leader in this secondary and on this team, like he's definitely part of the reason that Dak struggled so much early on in this game. And he really kept the clamps on this passing attack early on in this one. He also, he got the only sack for the Cardinals. So maybe he didn't flash, maybe nothing flashed in the box score for the Cardinals as a whole, but Baker's just in all three levels of the defense wreaking havoc and whether or not it shows up in the box score or not, I think his presence the last few years has really been, it's, it's notable every time the Cardinals are on TV, you know, he's, he leaps off the screen. He's so versatile, physical, like he's, it was a great way of saying it. And and he is still only 25 years old. Like the dude is going to be a factor in the league for a long time. I think we don't really the Cardinals are one of the teams that we don't watch that closely as a, a general population, even when they're good, you know, their games are always on in that late window and there's nothing notable about that stadium and their uniforms are ugly. And I just think the Cardinals just kind of fly under the radar all the time. And, you know, he's, he's put together an incredible start to a career and still has a lot left in the tank and more room to grow if they can put more pieces around him in that secondary. So really big Buda Baker fan. Yeah, I mean, Buda Baker's biggest memory in the national consciousness is <laughs> him getting chased down by DK Metcalf on live TV on national <laughs> television Sunday Night Football last year. But he's been able to do so much beyond that. Like, he's he's such a talented piece of that Cardinals secondary. And the Cardinals are absolutely not in a position to be in the playoffs if they don't have guys like Buda Baker running this team. So, again, hats off to him. And let's not forget, that was a very positive play for Buda Baker and the Cardinals. Like, yes, he got chased down at the one-yard line, but it was still a massive momentum-shifting interception and an extremely long return. So I, I know the Seahawks ended up winning that game, but it's it's a shame that we have to remember that Buda Baker play in, in, in a negative, quote-unquote, light. Um, but let's stick with that game because we're going to do special teams now, and the Cardinals – win a game by three in which their kicker makes four field goals, including a 53 yarder right at the halftime horn. And they needed every single one of those. And Matt Prater came off a week where he missed two field goals and an extra point and was drawing the ire of every single fantasy manager who lost a game with Matthew Prater on their roster. So to come back the next week and, you know, really kind of do everything he could to, to help his team win a game. I think there's a lot to be said for that, uh, especially on the road. It's indoors. I get it. But 
these are important kicks that he's making all of a sudden. And it's got to be a huge confidence boost for a guy that was really on the ropes as far as keeping his job went just a week ago. No, I mean, do your job, like doing your job as a kicker is a thankless task is either you're hitting kicks and you're doing what's expected of you or, you know, you miss one out of 10 kicks and people are tearing their hair out. But listen, the difference in this game came down to three points. If, if you're the difference maker and you kicked four out of four field goals, then, you know, you deserve every part of this win that a Kyler Murray or a Andre Roberts or, you know, anyone on this offense or a Buda Baker on this defense does. So hats off to Matty Prater. This is the type of recognition we need to be given to kickers. Kickers matter. Punters matter too. I'm sorry we haven't given a game ball to a punter in about 10 weeks, but we try to highlight the special teamers around here. We've got another special teamer to highlight now. Kale, touchdowns. We love them. Who scored one? Kickoff touchdowns. They're the best. Andre Roberts uh, in a game that didn't really matter, but uh, <laughs> just a return that absolutely jumped out of the page on me. Like, the game, sorry, I won't completely discredit it. The game mattered. The game was just very out of hand very quickly because <laughs> the Drew Locke Broncos against the Chargers. But that one-on-one yard touchdown run was really impressive. I really want to do an offseason look at just why it feels like there are so many kickoff return touchdowns this year. Because there's been there's been a lot. Like, we've talked about one nearly every week, it feels like. Like, it's really impressive at this point just how many there were. And this is up there for one of the most impressive just through the sheer number of Broncos that he blew by. Like, I, I it just between good blocking on the Chargers end uh, from the other 10 guys there and just Andre Roberts' speed and just agility getting through maybe six or seven potential tackles on his own, like, one of the better returns I've seen out of a kick return touchdown this year. And we've, like we've said, we've had some experience with a lot this year. No, it's been a fun year for it. I'm glad that we're still experiencing them in, in this, the safety era of football. You know, it's, it's part of the fun every weekend and seeing, you know, which, which couple plays can be broken that, that really change a game. And even though this one may not have changed the scoreboard, it was like you said, I mean, of all that we've seen this season, one of the more, individually impressive returns for a touchdown. So glad to give a special teams game ball to somebody with just a great last name and let's transition to uniforms. Uh, weird week for uniforms, because as we've established, Kale has a uniform moratorium on the chargers who had a pretty nice looking game yesterday on their home field. And I have established a uniform moratorium on the Raiders who played against the Colts yesterday in a game that would have absolutely fit my bill in any other given week. So with very few options left to pick from, I'm, I'm going to keep mine under wraps because it's a pick that Kale would never see coming from me. And I'm going to let you talk about yours first, buddy. By far the most entertaining game of yesterday ended up being the most visually entertaining game for me yesterday. And I'm going with Chiefs angles because Chiefs whites, just a staple, like just such a strong uniform. We've talked about it a couple times here on this podcast. But Needs man, the red those, pants. Needs yeah. them. Need the red pants to have them work too. Uh, I think they're really strong. But man, these Bengals oranges, like, I mean, 
a literal interpretation of a tiger has never looked so good. I, I, the orange helmets, first off, Bengals have maybe the strongest helmets in football by design. Uh, in my opinion, just, I think really creative, really fun, the whole tiger stripe thing. Uh, those orange jerseys with the black pants and orange socks just work so well for me. Like, I think there's a little bit of, there's some there's a little bit of white that needs to be added to those pants. I, I think there's, there's like one element slightly missing from there. Maybe some like white stripes down the side of those pants, like real thin piping on those, uh, tiger stripes on the side like but i mean these are just these are fun uniforms man like these are like these look like fun alternates for a team that they'd bring out like once every couple years and the bengals bring them out pretty consistently man these are cool like the, like yeah the you're helmets put, undefeated oh the helmet i mean the helmets the helmets the helmet like the helmets undefeated but these are like if you're going in to Madden to play as the Bengals, like you're picking these oranges. Like <laughs> they have to be the go-to. These are so fun to me. Yeah, it's either that or the uh, once the uniform helmet rules changes, we're we're gonna get a Siberian tiger look from the Bengals, where they wear white tiger striped helmets and then all white uniforms. And I'm very much looking forward to that as well. Uh, yeah, good pick, Sigmund and Siegfried and Roy Bengals uniforms. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Don't yeah. worry. It already basically exists. They just have to add the white helmets. So don't you worry your head. But I'm going to go with a game where it was really about one team shining and the other team just doing enough to look the part on the other sideline. But something about the late afternoon sun in a city that I generally have a lot of apathy for in Santa Clara, California, where the San Francisco 49ers just have the sun gleaming off their gold helmets with Trey Lance, the mobile quarterback running around. And I think we talked a lot about the Niners throwback uniforms this year with all the stripes. And I think we've discounted the fact that their normal uniforms, which they've rocked for, I think a solid decade now, if not even a little bit longer are very, very, very strong. So between that and the Texans, you know, it's a clean color scheme I think I like their road uniforms the best just because the red numbers are pretty visually appealing. And I like, I, I always like when jerseys are a mirror of each other. So you've got red with white numbers on one side, white with red on the other. Um, the Texans get like a solid B minus C plus for me and the Niners get an A. And in a week where there weren't a ton of great uniform games, that one actually stuck out to me. So had to go with it. Gold pants on gold helmets, man. It's perfect. It's, it's so strong. Their uniform, their their actual jerseys too were so simple. Like yeah. there's not a there's not a bit of gold to be found. Like if you see just, a Niners fan wearing a Niners jersey, you're like, ah, that jersey isn't all that cool. But it's how it works with the pants and helmets yeah, that makes it great. It's a, it's a full package thing. There, it, it works so well. I like you said. I'm pretty surprised you picked the Texans as in any sort of uniform game <laughs> there's, there's no surprise to this uh to the, you picking this Niners uniform because it's yeah, top. it's great um the Texans you know I I I like to not give teams uniform games all year if I don't think their uniforms deserve it and generally I would put the Texans in that category but there's just something about that late window is a refreshing visual element to a lot of ugly ugly games Seahawks, Lions, Saints, Panthers, they were 
maybe I'm just giving it to them because those were the other games in my quad box and they were hideous. But regardless, congrats to the Texans on showing up. (laughs) Not everything can be back and forth. Nope. Let us transition now to the unfortunate part of the program where we have to throw some shade and goodness, there were some bad late game situations yesterday. We both already tipped them. I guess I can go first because the Baltimore Ravens with their backup quarterback in the game, I get it still had a chance really to save their season and would be in a position this week to play against a Pittsburgh Steelers team that we don't think is any good to secure a playoff spot. And instead they give up the late touchdown to the Rams. They do a great job in stopping the two point conversion. And that means that with 57 seconds left, they have a chance with the greatest field goal kicker who has ever existed in the history of the world to go down and kick a game winning field goal. And they get the ball after a touchback and I get it. Tyler Huntley He's not a guy who you expect to push the ball down the field, especially with his arm. But when you have four plays to gain 12 yards and take up 45 seconds off the clock and then immediately follow it up with a 10-yard sack, bringing it back all the way to the 30-yard line and you completely take away any chance at a field goal, it deserves recognition because they just looked like they didn't know how much time was left. They looked like they were running their offense in quicksand and it was just not any fun to watch because the Ravens have been through a lot this year and it would have been cool to see them kind of make one more charge and save their season. And instead they just looked incompetent on offense at the moment they needed their offense the most. So I guess it's not a full head scratcher in terms of any one decision that was made, but I mean, come on, you have to attempt to throw more than six, seven yards down the field when you need a field goal in a minute drill it just wasn't nothing about that drive was good at all yeah i mean this team is an absolute shambles like offensively (laughs) and defensively like i want to give them credit for at least like making this a one-point game against the rams but i mean like really disheartening performance down the stretch like that is that is a poor poor offensive game plan for the baltimore ravens in a game that was absolutely winnable no, very poor. Let's let's hear about some more poor offensive decision making. I was gonna say, speaking of games that were absolutely winnable, uh, somehow the Antonio Brown whatever happened there was not the most head scratching thing for me out of this one. Although, before I talk about the New York Jets, I'd like to give an honorable mention to the head scratching facts that Mike Lennon still a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, let me just quickly, Tuesday morning reading style, uh, read off the outcomes of his 17 dropbacks. Uh, this is from Kendall Baker on Twitter of Axia Sports. Strip sack, interception, sack, four-yard pass, incompletion, 12-yard pass, strip sack, incompletion, 12-yard pass, 13-yard scramble, pass for a four-yard loss, incompletion, sack, strip sack, incompletion, incompletion, interception. Mike Glenn ended up finishing with uh, a net passing yardage of negative 10. If you watched the game at home, you had a more positive impact on the New York Giants than their quarterback did. <laughs> uh, I believe uh, PFF announced that Mike Glennon currently has a passing grade of 19, uh, which 
is the lowest by a single quarterback in a long, long time. Uh, how does he still have a job? I don't know. But that's not the focus of this discussion. The focus of this discussion is the New York team that was actually home this week, mm. New York Jets, that had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the ropes late into this game. Uh, we already talked about the two-minute uh, two drill comeback that Brady ran. Uh, but how do they get into that position? Let's hear about it. Uh, they run the Jets up, took a 24 to 10 lead against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay brings it all the way back to 24 20. Then the Jets get the ball back with seven and a half minutes to play. They mount an 11 play, 68 yard drive going all the way down the field. Take it all the way down to Tampa Bay seven. Drive kind of stalls out there. It's now fourth and two from Tampa seven. They make the right play call to go for it. They make the wrong play call on whatever they called because Zach Wilson elected to run a QB sneak on fourth and two, not fourth and one, fourth and two up the middle against one of the best run defenses in football. And the thing is the Jets had had success pretty much all game running the ball. Jets average 5.8 yards per carry, 150 yards on 26 carries on total throughout the day. And Zach Wilson, all six foot three, 210 pounds of him. I didn't know if he was 20 or 10. Uh, All 200 something pounds of him just decides to run it up the gut into nowhere. Like there has to be a better play call. There has to be like, Kicking the field goal to put him up seven would have been better. And I don't care that Tom Brady at least like ran it down, like gets down, makes a two-point conversion, you lose anyway. If you're gonna have the balls to go for it, if you're gonna have the gall to go for it, run a better play. <laughs> run a better play. Like, you know, Ty Johnson's having success all day. Like Michael Carter's doing well, things well. Like, figure out a way to make this work. Like, figure run literally anything else. Pass it for all I care. You've got your top three receivers out, but Braxton Berrios is balling out for, you know, whatever reason. Get it, get it his way. Get it going somewhere. Get I don't it. know, man. <laughs> so bad. Do a, do wanna, a bootleg. Anything. I want to find a way to justify it. You can even, mm. like, fake inside, go outside. Do some monicum of deception to create some kind of opening for yourself and try and win this game. Like that's, this isn't hero ball. Like this isn't, I don't know. I don't. It was I bad. There's it's just bad. nothing like that. The QB sneak is the most efficient play in football history when you need one yard, not when you need two. Yeah, yeah. Not two full yards. And it's a long two. Yeah. Like it was basically two and a half. Well, maybe take a page from the urban Meyer playbook when you say, my rookie quarterback's not ready to run QB sneaks yet. Maybe, maybe that was a time when Urban actually has a point. You never know. Um, no, I, I can't justify it at all. The Jets, I, I give them a lot of credit for looking competent in these games down the stretch when, when other bad record football teams are just folding. But the Jets still are finding ways to lose games. Maybe it's a good thing that they lost this game. Maybe they ran that on purpose to tank. Who knows? But Taking it at its face value, it was a terrible play call and it worked out in a terrible way. But we talked about we talked about horrible head scratching things that came out of the New York Giants yesterday. And I'd be missed, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this in there as one more honorable mention. 
I'll give you a real Tuesday morning reading here. This is a direct quote from New York Giants head football coach Joe Judge. And keep in mind, this is their coach moving forward, apparently, until if and when Dave Gettleman also gets fired. So it's only fitting that we talk about what a stable, perfect organization the Giants are this week. In Joe Judge's own words, he said, quote, I can tell you we've got more players here who are going to be free agents next year, all right? They're coming in my office every day begging me to come back. I know that. I know players that we coached last year still calling me twice a week telling me how much they wish they were still here, even though they're getting paid more somewhere else, okay? So I know we've got the right foundational pieces right there. Reactions. How are they sticking with this guy? (laughs) Like, it's... The this is just one excerpt from a 10-minute rant about <laughs> trying to grasp his job. We, we've made the likes, like we've we've made the comparisons to Adam Gase. At some point, we just got to recognize like the Mara family just really has their head stuck in a different era of football. Like they want these hard, like they want. Dave Gettleman getting hog mollies and really trying to build the team through grit and grind. They want like, like, I think they want like a Tom Coughlin esque quarterback. That's going to be hard nosed and punctual and invent new forms of time just to, (laughs) you know, keep their team in order. Like Joe judge is evoking Adam Gase. Like we've said before, like if you're talking about, like if you're getting blown out by the, Andy Dalton, Matt Nagy, Chicago Bears, whose performance is borderline going to keep Matt Nagy around. Like, that's how good Why are you saying that, Kale? Don't do that. And I've made fun of you for saying it, so I can say it now. No, Kale. We don't mean this in a serious way. That's how good that – that's how good the Bears look. Anything would look good by comparison, though. They can't possibly be fooled into thinking Nagy's done a good job the last couple weeks. But it's so funny that the special teams, the special teams of the New York Giants are like, they're waving off punts that are staying inbounds and they have to scramble back to get it when their team is led by a special teams coach. Like it's, it's, it blows my mind that the Giants are keeping this guy around and they're keeping Daniel Jones around for whatever reason. Like there's no, Hmm. this team is hapless. Like this, this team has, legitimately no bright spots going forward. There's nothing to hope for as a Giants fan going forward with the current structure of this organization from top, top, top ownership all the way down to bottom. It's so, and kudos to whichever Giants reporter asked the question that got what was in fact an 11 minute, seven second diatribe from Joe Judge, uh, I don't have the reporter's name and I don't have the exact transcript of the question, but the question essentially was, why should fans continue to have faith and believe that your team can actually turn things around with you in charge? And that's the type of direct questioning that you will absolutely get from the New York media, which has its faults, but when they come for the jugular, they know what they're doing. And when you need to give an 11 minute defense (laughs) on why teams still believe in you, you're wrong. <laughs> like it's incorrect. Like there is no reason for teams to believe in you. There's almost nothing that justifies a 2,614 word response. Almost no singular question deserves that. 
even teachers and professors that require you to write papers that that long know that there's not possibly 2600 intelligent words to be said about the topic joe judge definitely needed the oscars music to be played at, on him at least at most halfway through that rant he sheep's crook to yank him off the podium <laughs> what oscars music uh, speaking of Oscars music, <laughs> speaking of Oscars music, I think it's getting played in the background for us here, Kale. We're, yeah, I know. I know. We're, we're burning daylight, man. Um, even Monday Night Football, I don't really think we need to talk about it that much this week. It's it's pretty irrelevant, aside from, I guess, if the Steelers win, then they need the Jaguars to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. But seeing as how we don't really expect that to happen, uh, this is probably Big Ben's last game regardless at Heinz Field, uh any reflections on on what a season it's been for the Steelers and Browns uh thank you to Big Ben for uh all the easy roads to uh New England Super Bowls in mm. the 2000s and 2010s I'll never thank you enough for a wonderful childhood of New England Patriots Super Bowl victories mm. and losses uh and if I had like one blind Monday night prediction uh, with the amount of anticipated quarterback turnover this off season, I think Baker does just enough to make it justifiable to keep him around. Ooh. That's more, that's more so just because some of these, some of these quarterback deals like the, the Jimmy Garoppolo deal or the Matt Ryan deal, uh, I don't think there. I don't think if if Russ moves or if Aaron Rodgers moves for whatever reason, uh, either of them would go to Cleveland. But if they're even going to that tier two of quarterbacks, uh, I think Baker Mayfield does just enough for for cap reasons and for performance reasons to at least get held on for that fifth year. Wow, <laughs> remarkable! Like we thought last week was the end and he hasn't even played a game since. And we're already finding ways to make concessions that he's going to be back for another year. It's just uh, maybe if you're just this likable in commercials, you keep earning second chances. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's justifiable. Like this is a, this isn't a roster that's built for win. Now this is a roster that's built for the future. And this is a roster that's also built to succeed regardless of quarterback if they have any weapons they can give him to assist him in this run uh maybe it'll work but they've also we've also seen through the performance of one odell beckham jr in los angeles hmm. that usually it, things don't work out when baker mayfield has weapons <laughs> like <No>. the weapons <laughs> the weapons don't make a difference for him so it's, it's I don't know. <laughs> great I don't, run game i mean that's 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 an entirely it's, it's the other facet of the offense that seems to be Baker's best crutch, but clearly having Odell didn't help him that much. What a great dad Odell has, though. Just a, a stand-up father changing his son's career for the better by making a compilation of bad Baker Mayfield plays. A lowlights video that's, that borderlined on like shitposting for how <laughs> it was edited and just how badly it was. Like It's, it's still funny to look back at that because, like, Odell Beckham senior does not know a lot about the internet and like video editing <laughs> for how bad that video was, but it proved a point and it saved <laughs> his career. Uh, OBJ better ball out for Father's Day is all I'm saying. Like, Good point. Throw, like, I, I don't know, buy the guy a car or something like do something great. <laughs> well, we've come 
not even full circle on this episode, but we've we've come to the end of our 18,000th tangent, and I think that's as good a place as any to leave it off. Uh, NFL continues to be extremely entertaining and weird week after week, and as such, we're going to keep coming back week after week to break it all down. So, uh, Kale, thanks for bringing the energy as always. Uh, looking great doing it. You said you'd shave the mustache. It's still around. I respect the hell out of it. Uh, go get them this week, pal, and, and we'll catch up again very soon. We got a week of near meaningless football ahead of us in week 18. <laughs> so you can guarantee that episode will be at least an hour and more full of tangents than you could even imagine. Absolutely. It's going to be absolutely great. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As usual, don't forget to leave a review five stars if you think we deserve five stars subscribe all that good stuff follow us on twitter and for kale i'm jackson we'll see you next tuesday